great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? Happy Friday night coming to you live from inside Wingnuts right here in Buffalo, 700 Military Road. Man, I am excited to be back in the house uh, with AJ, John, and the boys. Wingnuts, uh, we had the wings once again, right? Oh, yeah. we, we keep doing the wings before the show. I feel like we yeah. should do them after the show because I'm not going to lie. You, you want to just lounge up, maybe watch some TV afterwards. It's so good. Yeah, these wings are extremely filling. Uh, went to the Wing Nuts Mile, but also had the honey garlic tonight. Honey garlic is a game changer as well, Matt. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I think where I want to start, you know, this was when we started planning this, and this is going to be a pretty regular occurrence right here at Wing Nuts for the Shell Podcast. Yes. We thought it might be an AFC championship preview show right i thought i was going to be getting on a plane tomorrow at 6 a.m to fly to atlanta to watch the bills play the chiefs that's not the case the bills lost last week and now we've had time to let it marinate a little bit right i went back actually today and i re-watched the game and i guess that can kind of put my fan suit to bed if you will because i don't know how many bills fans are going back and wanting to really watch that thing back but, man, it, it held up. It was as bad as I felt like it was watching it live. There's a lot of it still to kind of talk about, dive into, and kind of extrapolate as we look into a very important offseason for the Bills. Yeah, listen, you know, you go back and you watch that game, man. There's a lot of issues with this team, especially on the lines. You don't want to overreact to one game, and that's something Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean both said. But it's pretty clear that in terms of the AFC, the Bengals seem to be have a, a little bit of a gap between them and the Bills as of right now. So we put together a little outline for the Wednesday show, the Staples show. We got into a lot of pieces of the conversation. One thing that we didn't really get to, and we kind of saved it for this, is the offensive line in general. Because you look at this offense, and if you want to start asking where things went wrong in this game, there's a lot of blame that you can place at the doorstep of the defense. Leslie Frazier, this defensive line, Eric Washington, we talked a lot about it in the last show. But, man, you look at this offense scoring 10 points. It's I agree with Brandon being his assessment. This is not something we've seen from this team over the last couple of seasons. You have the Colts game. You have now the Cincinnati Bengals team. They were completely dominated on both sides of the ball. And the reason the offense wasn't able to do a lot of things I felt like it started up front. I think it started with this offensive line. I think there's a couple of players that you could really talk about and then start to look at, all right, what does the future hold for Spencer Brown, Ryan Bates, who you go back to last offseason, this was the apple of Bill's Mafia's eyes, Rick Bates. Big fans of Rick Bates here on the show. Don't get me wrong. But at times, I just felt, felt like from a protection standpoint, even when the Bengals were only rushing four in this game, and listen – they were throwing some curveballs. Like they had guys hovering around the line of scrimmage. They weren't sending the pressure every time. They were doing it, mixing and matching. But this offensive line just 
it's simply put, it didn't it didn't hold up in this game. It, it didn't hold up in this game, and I think you could argue it didn't hold up in the Miami Dolphins game as well, Matt. You look at the performance by Zach Sealer, Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips against the Dolphins. The offensive line struggled in that game. You fast forward the following week, the Bills get by the Dolphins. It was really bad across the board. And, and listen, you have a, a former uh, Pro Bowl left tackle in Deion Dawkins. He struggled. The interior of this line struggled. Roger Saffold looked every part of a 34-year-old offensive lineman. But I think the biggest struggle for me was at right tackle with Spencer Brown. And we can get into this a little bit. Brandon Bean talked specifically about Brown at his end-of-the-year press conference. But uh, off the edges, the Bills really struggled against Cincinnati. And the, the fact that Josh Allen was able to do much of anything is an accomplishment because that line broke down quickly. When we go back to training camp into the season – I don't think anybody really understood what I think the expectation should have been for Spencer Brown coming off of this back issue. It was Brandon Bean painted the picture. This is a serious deal that they even were thinking about not letting him play to start the season. He said it, he doesn't care if it would have been Deion Dawkins. They wouldn't have put him out uh, if he'd gone through that kind of back trauma in the offseason, trying to get that thing. Not to mention the fact with Spencer Brown, it's interesting. He plays the game in a little different way because he stands six feet eight. He's three or how big is 320? I want to say close he's to a, 340 maybe. 340? Yeah. He's a big boy. And I feel like dealing with the kind of back issues that he probably was over the course of the season, getting it back to a place where he felt like at least he was a balanced player probably took a little bit uh, of time. But there's another piece to all this too, Ryan. The Bills don't have any time, right? This is an arms race in the AFC. Lamar Jackson missed the end of the season. Wherever he ends up, whether it's in Baltimore or elsewhere, you know, if he stays in the AFC, that team's going to be a contender. You have the Chiefs and the Bengals playing this weekend. Everywhere you look, there's really good te teams. And you look in the AFC East, all three of these teams are probably going to be better in 2023. So you have to start asking yourself some questions. We've talked about Spencer Brown being maybe a swing tackle in the future. How do the Bills address right tackle and what other parts kind of move here in the offseason to get things to a place where you feel better about things in front of your franchise quarterback, Josh Allen? Yeah, listen, that's a great question. And with the Bills, they're going to be a little bit strapped in terms of cash with the cap space. Uh, I think first and foremost, you have to attack this thing through the draft, Matt. You have to look in terms of what's available round one. I would even say one of your day two picks has to be devoted to an offensive lineman. You have to get those guys that are going to be here four or five years, if fifth year option on the first round player. Uh, and, and have that the cap where you're not having to pay a boatload because you and I know when you, you do hit on a left tackle or right tackle, you have to pay them a pretty penny. So I'm not sure the Bills can get an option at uh, right tackle, for instance, in free agency, but the draft's where to go. When it comes to Spencer Brown, you know, Brandon Bean did a good job of playing everything out. This guy went to Northern Iowa and he didn't play his final season. The back injury. But where he lost me, Matt, is he said, I thought that Spencer Brown played better in the second half of the season than the first half of the season. I completely disagree. And, and, you know, he talked about those online scouts. Maybe I'm an online scout because I saw him getting beat by those speed rushers left and right. He really struggled. Now, could he get better when you consider all the circumstances? Absolutely. But you said it, Matt. This team is in a Super Bowl window. You can't sit here and hope that he's going to get better in 2023. You need to bring in legitimate competition to push him to say you either win this job or you're going to be our swing tackle for the foreseeable future. That's fitting because I think uh, one of your previous gigs was at scout.com. So it's on your resume. That's right. I That's feel like true. it just fits right in.
All right, we're right here inside Wing Nuts in Buffalo Military Road. Uh, I gotta say, I, this is what my third time now having it. I'm I'm disappointed to say I never had it at Knights of Columbus. Shame on me. I kind of wish I would have had the ambiance of that experience. But these wings are as good as advertised. Right here inside Froth, you can come in, you can sit down, you can order some food, bring the friends, bring the family. It's a great atmosphere, and that's the really cool thing about it too. One of the reasons I love this so much, doing these shows out at local establishments, it, it brings the fans together, right? It brings the community together. 26 Shirts is here today. They have a pop-up stand over here, and if you're here uh, inside Wing Nuts right now, make sure you head over to uh, the 26 Shirts station. Get yourself hooked up with some uh, merch. Uh, we got a super chat here. Look at this. Look at the technology That's working right. on the show, Ryan. Can't wait for us to draft D-line again with our number one pick. Oof. First, first round pick. And that's actually a good thing to – maybe I'll go to Sal for this. We got a – I'm going to tag you out at this point. Absolutely. Go have some wings. Take a couple sips. I appreciate it. We got a uh, special guest uh, that came out today, brought the whole family. Yana's here. Max is here. Eating some chicken wings. What do you think? I, I guess let's start there. What do you think? These are amazing. These are amazing. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for having us. This is awesome. I – I have to be honest, probably live about two to three miles from here. It's my first time here. Awesome wings. Everybody knows about it. But I feel like once you try them, it's not going to probably be too long before you're back. Oh, no, no doubt. I signed the guest book, and that's what I wrote. I said, we'll be back again and again and again. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I want to talk some bills here with you because we, you know, I, I had you coming out to this event. We haven't really wrapped too much about the end of the season. You know. Game days for me and you, they're a little bit different. We see each other in passing, right? But during the season, whether it be in the media room or on the road, we're usually sharing ideas, talking about things. You've had a week to marinate on it. What, what are you sitting here on Friday, five days after the game, still kind of thinking about? Just how thoroughly they were beaten from the get-go. As soon as the game started, being down there, everybody was hyped. The crowd was amazing. And the Bengals just take the ball easily down the field, on the Bills, score. And you're like, okay, well, that's that's a drive that's happened before. And the Bills give the ball back after missing that throw to Stephon Diggs. That was a big miss, obviously, early on in the game. And then the Bengals do it again. And right away, Matt, 14-0. I just – I keep thinking about how we, we just didn't even get a competitive game. Right. We just got a, a team that just didn't show up, quite frankly. And – that just hasn't happened with the Buffalo Bills other than the Indianapolis Colts game last year. Even, even Brandon Bean recognized this is the only game, really, those two games that this team has had that happen to them in the last two years. So we got a super chat here in the comments, and it's from Daniel, and he says, can't wait for the Bills to draft D-line again in the first round. And you think about it from the outset. First of all, from, a, from an organizational perspective, Brandon Bean – I don't think he's ever going to fluctuate from best player available. If there's truly a, a defensive end that's standing out on the board, an edge rusher, a linebacker, I wouldn't put it past him necessarily to take one. But are you in a situation right now with where this roster is, where this build is, there, there has to be some serious questions if they end up taking an edge rusher in the first round after all the draft capital they've spent Yeah, I, I can't see it happening with Von Miller coming back. Now that they have Von Miller, I can't see that happening. Um, even last year, they signed Bond. They didn't take one in the first round. And, you know, they didn't take one in the second round even, right? I mean, they, they stayed away from that roster. I can't see that happening this year. Um, best player available, they will do that. But let's remember, 
We all, I think we all agree they probably need another wide receiver, right? Yeah. But if their top wide receiver is rated 50th and they're sitting at 27, they're not going to take one. Right? And that's what people have to understand. Let's also remember. Got to have you move closer to the mic. There, we have producers watching off to the side. Is this the mic? Or yeah, the mic? Oh. they're both. You got to talk oh, in the both. So I'm going to put it right oh, here. Oh, sorry about that. So let's also remember that free agency comes first. And whatever happens in free agency is going to have a big impl implication on what happens in the draft. No, I can't see them taking an edge rusher in the first round, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go defense in the first round. I, I just, I, I could see that happening. I mean, they're going to take the best player available, but also this defense does now have holes. It's aging out. And as much as the offense did not play as well as it should, and you can pick apart receiver offensive line, we can also find holes in the defense that this team needs to address. Speaking of things that they have to address, um, if you're just tuning in, thank you. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button. Subscribe to the channel as well. We really appreciate you uh, tuning into this live show. And if you're in Western New York, if you're in Buffalo right now and you want to drive out to Wingnuts, I'm going to be hanging out for a couple more hours after the show. Come on out. Try the wings. Hang out. We'll talk some bills after the show ends. The coaching staff. Changes have begun. Reports are out that Jim Salgado, the, the team's sec, uh, safeties coach, was the Nickelbacks coach last year. The team has reportedly moved on from him. A, your thoughts on that. We could get into that a little bit. But B, what do you think is next? Is there going to be more moves made? Or if they bring back the current iteration of this coaching staff, should Bills fans be concerned about that? Well, first, let's start with Jim Salgado. Let's remember two years ago, he was the nickel coach, or even three years ago, Taron Johnson, that was his coming out party. Let's give the guy credit for that. He did a really nice job with Taron Johnson. When Bob Babbage Sr. retired, Bob Babbage Jr., who was the safeties coach, got put in his linebackers. By the way, now you have Matt Milano, all pro. He also coached Tredavious, I'm sorry, Micah and Jordan to become all pros. He did a really good job. Jim Salgado, safeties, they have injuries. The guys who come in, I think there were issues. There were seemed like there were communication issues at times. There seemed like there were guys that didn't take the proper angles at times. And I, I understand why they might want to move on. What surprises me, Matt, is how quickly we're getting a report of one coach being fired and we haven't heard of anything else. It tells me maybe there's more going on there. What did, what did the exit interviews say? Did other did safeties, did guys on the team say, hey, this wasn't working out. We weren't getting co coached properly. Were, there's, were there other strife behind the scenes between him and McDermott or him and Leslie Frazier? We don't know that. So we'll see what they do now. With Steve Wilkes out there, I think that's an eye to keep, uh, a name to keep an eye on. Steve Wilkes, very well respected in the league. McDermott and Bean both worked with him in Carolina. But I would also tell you, I keep getting a lot of people tweeting at me going, I can't believe they're only making one change. Hold on, hold on, all right? First of all, the team hasn't even announced the change. Jim Salgado is still on their website. He's still listed. It's a report that he's been fired. Last year, the Bills had quite a few changes. We knew the coordinator was going to change because Brian Dable left. But they didn't announce anything until late February. So I'm sure there will be more changes. I don't know what those are going to be. Would I put it past or think that it's impossible that one or both coordinators are changed? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's possible that that could happen. I think it's unlikely they move on from Ken Dorsey after one year because I think that Sean McDermott and Brandon Beanfield, we knew that this was a one-year, first-year guy, and we'd have to give it more room. So even if fans don't like that, I think he's probably going to be back for a second year, provided he doesn't take another job himself. 
head coaching job, which doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But Leslie Frazier, I wonder. I wonder if maybe, hey, we've been together a while. Maybe it's time for a new set of eyes on things. Maybe a mutual parting of ways. Or Sean McDermott could feel there's more changes on underneath him that need to be made. I, I would just, if I was a Bills fan right now, looking at only one change being reported, do not make the incorrect assumption that that's the only thing that's going to change. You mentioned the Ken Dorsey point, and that's one I wanted to get your take on. We we were talking a little bit about this on our, in our show on Wednesday about what the Bills faced when Brian Dable eventually left, right? What they were facing, deciding on who to bring in. And I think that the, the biggest thing for Ken Dorsey looking back on the hire that probably stood out to the Bills, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, is that the continuity factor. He knows Josh. It's not going to be a whole new system. But because it's Brian Abelson, there probably was a little bit of, you know, difficult time trying to figure things out. It's, you know, Ken Dorsey spent three years in it, but I think a lot of it was was built by Brian Dable. So you look into this year, I think an offseason, maybe for them to get on the same page, and organizationally, Ken, Sean, Brandon, what do we want to be? Identity, figure that out. What do we want to do? And how do we want to use players that I'm going to go out, Brandon Bean, spend the next couple of months going out there and getting you players? Who do you want and why do you want them? And I think finding a way to that for this group positions Dorsey. We talk so much about positioning players and Josh Allen. I think the Bills have to position now Ken Dorsey to have success in year two because I agree with you. What are you going to do? Go out and hire a whole new offensive coordinator and bring in a whole new system for Josh Allen, who's been elite MVP caliber under this one? No, and I don't think they want to do that as far as a new system is concerned. Josh is the only quarterback from that entire draft class who has had the consistency of the same people around him. Granted, new coordinator first time, but we know that he kept most of the same system in. I think they kind of did. This is what the puzzling part is about James Cook, let's say, and the running backs. The Bills tried to signed, they thought they signed J.D. McKissick. He goes back to Washington. They draft James Cook. It seemed like it was all, okay, this is what Ken Dorsey wants to do. Throw the ball to these guys, get the ball in space. That never materialized. That's why it was kind of a always a head-scratcher why this never wound up happening. So you wonder, being McDermott, they go to Ken Dorsey and say, okay, what happened here? What do we need to do? I also wonder how much, and Ken talked about this a lot, how much input Josh had on a lot of what was happening. Because I think the quarterback has to have some input, what he feels comfortable and not comfortable with. And maybe that's a big part of it. Josh, Ken Dorsey, Joe Brady, whoever the quarterback's coach is, Joe Brady rumored to be in the offensive coordinator mix for some jobs. Maybe they have to all collectively get together and say, we have to be on the same page. I wonder if they all were with how it was going to go as far as some of the ways of throwing to the running backs. The Bills just did not do that this year. Took a while for Dawson Knox to get involved. And of course, I think they absolutely need more on the outside. I asked Brandon Bean specifically the other day at the press conference, are you against using a first round pick on a wide receiver? Because they haven't drafted one in the first two rounds, right? He said, I use the first round pick on Stefan Diggs. Okay. Touche. He's right. (laughs) But I mean, I think that's where you have to look now. You have to try and find something young rookie deal. You know, it's funny, Matt, we always talk about rookie deals for quarterbacks. Look around the league, rookie deals for wide receivers and how good teams are doing that have these rookie deals, these wide receivers who are great on their rookie deals, and they can spend around their elite wide receiver. The Bills are already paying Stephon Diggs. They have Gabe Davis on a rookie deal. That's fine. One more year of that. I'm fine with keeping Gabe Davis around. 
But I think Gabe Davis might serve better in a three than a two. And if you make him a three, he'd be one of the better threes in the league. If I'm the Bills scouting staff, I'm spending a lot of time in Indianapolis around Titan staff members and Viking staff members. And I'm going to ask them every question in the book about Justin Jefferson and A.J. Brown. How did you know? Right? Because there's a piece to that. Sure, you can land a rookie quarterback and they can have an immediate impact on your offense. But then there's the Jalen Ragers of the world, the LeVon Treadwells of the world. You know, for as many hits, and there are a lot of hits in the draft, you can find some real big busts. Yeah, I mean, I remember years ago, people remember the name James Hardy. Remember that? I think he actually passed away. Rest in peace, James Hardy. And I remember all leading up to that draft, it was need a tall wide receiver, need a tall wide receiver. Well, they drafted him, but they reached for him. Because they needed that wide receiver and it didn't work out. He wasn't good. You have to be careful of that. That's why when you say best player available, you can't reach to a guy that you don't have valued at that spot because then the expectation is he's going to play like a first rounder when he's not. I do have an idea, though. How about what these teams did? Like A.J. Brown uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. We've seen these things happen where receivers after three years want to get paid. Maybe there's a guy out there after his third year, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk, players like this. I don't know if they like what their situation is, but maybe investigate in, is that a guy that we can trade for, bring in here, tell him we're going to pay him, give him a little money right now, and then later. It doesn't have to be a first-round pick. Maybe it's a young wide receiver you trade for like you did Stephon Diggs a few years ago. Yeah, no, I like it. We're going to talk so much about that over the course of this offseason that's just getting started. If you're just joining us right now. I, I'm reading all your comments here. Is 916 always in here? That's a negative person. The door is shut. No longer a Cinderella team. Don't be so negative, man. Your team is still really good, but I get you're upset. You don't have to be so negative all the time. It's a coping mechanism, my friend. Is that what it is? Okay. There's a lot of people that's that. some negativity there, man. There's a lot of people that right now are just living in a, in a, in a world of hurt, right? No, the I get it. were so high. You know, you've taken calls. All week long on what the expectations were for this season for this team. And you're right. The comments, you know what they say in this business, Al. Don't read the comments. comments. Don't read the comments. Listen, I've been dealing with this all week on my show. So what we've done is talk about the Sabres to bring everybody up. That's what we've done. I mean, that's a a good place to go in the aftermath of what happened. Uh, We got a super chat here from Daniel. I'm going to get to this here. I'll let you get back to your wings here in a moment. The Bills draft Kyer Elam with quality wide receivers on the board and don't have the confidence to play him at corner. End of the year presser from Bean was concerning. A lot to get in there. I've been been shouting it from the rooftops that, and this is something that I I plan to ask Sean about in the next couple of times we get to to talk to him over the course of the offseason. The Kyrie Elam experience was puzzling to me to this day. I get wanting the best player to win the job, and you don't want to hand a rookie the job. But I could go back to training camp, and I can go back to the preseason where I I thought I saw enough from Kyer Elam to give him a little bit more leash on the rope and let him kind of go out there and learn a little bit on the job. It's a hard – Sean says it. Trey says it. It's a hard position to play. I don't know if you're getting better watching other people do it. So I, I, I take issue with the – I hate the word narrative, but I'll use it – with the narrative that the Bills don't trust rookies and don't want to play them. Christian Benford was a rookie and was going to start. Like he was going to play. Like, that's not true. It's not that they don't want to play rookies. At what point is it maybe the rookie isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing to play? I mean, you have to put a little bit on the actual player. And let's go back to training camp. 
Remember when we kept talking about Kyrie Elam was very up and down and grabby and all that. I agree with you. I thought he played better as the season went on. I was a head scratcher that he didn't get on the field late in the season. But, you know, the, the player has onus here, too. The player has to play better. It's not just on, well, the coaching staff doesn't want to play rookies. That's not true. Christian Benford was going to play. He started over Kyrie Elam originally. I mean, Dane Jackson was there as well. But you get the point. It's not just it's not just because they don't trust rookies necessarily. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Kyrie Elam made strides. I'm excited to see what he can do. But at that particular position, they're going to have some more work to do. Tredavious White is back. Hopefully he'll be healthy. We'll see what they have. What happens with Christian Benford. I think that's a candidate to move to safety. They worked him a little bit. They talked about him playing now to play safety. And with that position in flux, Jordan Poyer's situation, I think there's some work to do in the secondary. But I don't think it's as easy as, well, Kyrie Lim was a rookie. They didn't trust him. They put him on the field. Well, then why the heck did they put Christian Benford on the field? He was a rookie. No, I think that's everything you said there, I agree with. I, I don't necessarily think it was a anti-rookie take, but I think you have to, from the Elam specifically, part of the reason I've been so confused is that you think that they would have learned their lesson from the Cody Ford experience. When they did that whole rotational thing, I think that that really, for we'll see what happens in Arizona, really ruined his career. I mean, the confidence level wasn't there from the start. And I, and I guess, like, we don't know what's happening in the building. So if they're getting a read on Kyer Elam and they're saying, listen, we think we can test this guy and he's going to answer the bell. And if he doesn't start, it's not going to be a problem long term. You need Kyer Elam to hit. You need him to hit in this defense. Tredavious White did not look like the same player. And he probably was never going to. And we have an offseason to see how he rebounds from that injury. But if you're looking on to the future, I can't see the next time they're going to take a cornerback in the first round, considering the track record. They didn't take one for five years after they got Trey. And I just thought Trey had to play in 17. I get it. He had to play. There was nobody else for the position. But I was just a little concerned about the Kyrie Elam experience. And I will tell you, let's remember, Dane Jackson's a restricted free agent. They'll have to put a tender on him if they want to basically keep him. That might cost them a little bit of money. We could be talking about Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford being the two and three, whatever, fighting for a spot, and Dane Jackson not being on the team. We don't know how all this is going to play. It's kind of like a Levi Wallace type of situation from a couple of years ago as well. So, you know, we'll see where all this plays out. I think their bigger concern right now is at safety. Micah Hyde is 33. Jordan Poyer is probably not returning as it sits here and looks right now. They had issues there. They just fired the safeties coach. I wonder what that looks like. They have an issue at middle linebacker, which remain Edmonds' decision that has to be made. What does all that look like? So, as, every, as much as we talked about in the offense and all the different problems and things that they're going to have to address, there's probably just as many on the defense right now, including a defensive line that got absolutely gashed by the Cincinnati Bengals. And Ed Oliver was nowhere to be found throughout the entire game. Yeah, we could probably spend a whole show Correct. talking about this defensive line. And, you know, it's troubling. And I listen, I, I didn't think about the high ankle sprain. Brandon Bean talked about that with Greg Rousseau, and I think he definitely looked like a different player after the injury. So I think you've got that going for you. But I guess to send us off here, what do you do at edge rusher this offseason with you know Bond coming back? You know you probably can rely on Greg Rousseau. But with Basham in year three and Epinesa going into year four, there's serious question mark. Well, I think Epinesa is a guy that he's, his roster spot is tentative. I don't think he's done enough to secure roster spot. I like Greg Russo. I think he made good strides. He needs a guy like Von Miller on the other side. To be the primary pass rusher is probably not what is what where it's going to bring out the best in him. You need Von Miller healthy. 
What do I see happening? I wouldn't be surprised if they get one more, maybe bring in another veteran guy at some point. It doesn't have to be a, it's not a Von Miller type, $100 million, man, $20 million a year. And I think you get Von Miller, Greg Russo, and you have another guy who's maybe a veteran who's been around the block, who's had some sacks here or there. That might be something. I don't think it's an area you have to completely overhaul or address. I think the key is just getting Von Miller back and healthy. He was having a really good season. Great stuff from a man, Sal Capaccio, WGR 550. You can hear him weekdays, 10 to noon, mornings, afternoons, nights. You know what we need you to start doing? Overnight podcast. Yeah, oh my gosh. That's the only thing not on your docket. I, I try to sleep at night sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Doesn't always work out. Let everybody know. Uh, shout it out. What do, you, what do you got coming up? What do you want them to tune into, watch, listen, read? Obviously, on Twitter, at Sal Sports. Appreciate you, everybody, coming in the chat and saying hello. Great to be here with you, WGR550.com. If they know where to find me, they know where to find this guy right here at Wing Nights tonight. Come on out. Great job tonight for putting this together. Thanks for inviting me. Great crew, great people. Really awesome, man. Thank you. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Just so you know... Shout is brought to you, as always, by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And right now, you can enter for a chance to win $1 million. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone to enter. Our good buddy Scott over there. He's used to that one. You know that one, buddy. So what's up? Where so we- what's up? Where are we going? <laughs> hey, man, you've been over there drinking and eating, eating wings, so you're going to take that. You're going to take the wheel. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So with the Bills, we talked offensive line. You and Sal were talking about, I believe, the secondary coaching. Yep. Ch- okay. So let's talk a little bit draft. I know we're, I'm not asking you specific draft prospects. If the Bills go into this draft, what are you expecting them to do in the first few rounds? They've been very early on in the draft, very heavy on the defensive side of the ball. I've seen a lot of Bills fans saying, if they go up, if they go defense again, I'm going to panic. Is that a fair thought? Is this something where Brandon Bean you think is going to stay to his board, stay true to the board? Or is this something where you've seen enough where this line – needs uh, a change. Josh Allen needs that protection. Josh Allen needs more weapons. Where do you stand with it right now? So I've been thinking a lot about this because I put up Mal Kuyper's mock draft. Oh. We're not going to talk about the uh-huh. defensive end that he had them taking because I know Bill's fans were not feeling that at all based on the comments. But the thing for me is I think you have to be aggressive now if you're Brandon Bean. He loves his draft picks and I respect that. But we talk about the Super Bowl window You have to find the guy that you like. For me, it's going to be putting somebody around Josh Allen, whether that be an interior offensive lineman. Maybe your center. We talked about the Landon Dickerson model. Find your center of the future, put him at guard, move him to center after you move on from Mitch Morris or however that's going to look. Go out and get a wide receiver that you like. If you've got to move up in the draft, you basically traded your first round pick to go get Stephon Diggs because you need a playmaker. If you've got to move up four or five picks to get yourself a bona fide Number two wide receiver, a T. Higgins type, you go out and do that. It's going to depend on the class because, right, I haven't, I haven't taken a deep dive into the draft class yet. I don't know how what that wide receiver position is looking like as you get into pick 27 through 30 and so on and so forth. The reason the Bengals got T. Higgins in that draft is because 
It was stacked at the position. Absolutely. Is it going to be stacked at the position? That's going to be the question that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months. Yeah, and, you know, I've done an early look. I don't think wide receiver is as deep as, as the T. Higgins type of draft. I think offensive lineman is a little bit deeper. I'm going to take it one step further, Matt. Since Brandon Bean came on board, I feel like he's drafted for best player available and culture fit. I think right now you have the right kind of culture in this locker room. You can roll the dice on someone that maybe has a little bit of a red flag, whatever that case may be. If at this point in 2023, you're not comfortable saying you can bring a player in and have them fit into this culture, there's something wrong there. There was a wide receiver. I won't name names. There was a wide receiver in last year's draft that I thought the Bills should look at. And I had someone reach out and say, red flags galore. This player ended up having a really nice rookie season, fit right into that team's locker room. The Bills need to stop being so worried about character fits and start going for best player available in terms of overall talent. I think this is a great point, and it's one that I've been talking this week. I don't know if I said it on our show or maybe another show. I might have done it on Danger of Bataglia. What's one of the catchphrases for Sean McDermott that he uses all the time about the process, the culture that they build in the building? It's all about being humble and hungry, right? We've had enough humble, I think. Yeah. I think Hummel needs to go out the door because you're looking at Cincinnati Bengals team. The swagger on that squad is through the roof, and they go out and get guys that bring that swagger into the building. And Brandon Bean said something interesting about Stephon Diggs. He said, I don't know if I'd want a guy that isn't pissed off about losing, right? He's like, if that was me, I might be even worse than Stephon Diggs, acting even worse. I think they need to go out and find – players with the DNA of Stefan Diggs and bring in him into the building. Did I take some issue with the Josh Allen interaction? Probably. And that's something that we can dive into more of the course of the of season. I'd like to hear from Stefan Diggs before we talk too much about it. But I think the point of the matter is Stefan Diggs is sick of playing through a season and having the same result at the end of it. And that is what you need. And I guarantee you, you're, if Joe Mixon was out there, or Jamar Chase, or T. Higgins, or even Hayden Hurst. How about the swagger on Hayden Hurst? I mean, that guy was playing with a chip on his shoulder. The Bills need a little bit more of that. And if you have to go out there and find that in the draft, go do it. Absolutely. You get it in the draft. You go into free agency. You look for those players, too, that you don't have to break the bank for them, but there's someone that can come in and contribute immediately. It's going to be hard to find premier players based on Buffalo's cap situation. Obviously, and we're not going to go too into the weeds here. They can restructure Josh Allen. They can restructure certain contracts. There's going to be roster cuts. But, yeah, but the Bills are going to have to go into this thing, Matt, and they're going to really have to say a deep evaluation of themselves and say, what's going wrong for us? And, and for first and foremost, like I said, I, I think it comes down to the fact that they're, they're looking too much at character fit and not enough at overall talent in terms of, can this player be a difference maker in year one? Can this player come in uh, and do enough right now where I question what these rookie classes have done in, in past years? You, you look at the way they use this year's draft class, Kyrie Elam. Uh, I think he was one of the more talented cornerbacks on this roster. They brought him along very slowly for whatever reason. By the end of the season, he seemed like the clear-cut option in terms of talent, but the Bills kind of trust those veterans at cornerback. You look at a guy like James Cook. Uh, Cook, I think, in terms of his speed, in terms of his ability, should have gotten more runway this year. So the, the way that the Bills have kind of neglected their rookie classes as of late, using those rotations, 
get your best player available. I don't care about any kind of red flags. If it's a, it's a need and it's a fit, you go out and get that player. I'm going to move this thing around. I'm going to send you out. You're going to go get some more wins. Right. Congratulations. Enjoy. I can't wait to get a couple. All right. Good buddy of mine made it out here tonight with, uh, you know, I was going to say one of the best golfers in Western New York, but we can say in the country, Mr. Elliot Skirsky. What's up, Jay? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. Uh, Jay Skirsky, you can find him over uh, at the Buffalo News. Busy week, busy week. We're sitting here on Friday. I've asked everybody this question, and I'm going to have you step up to the mic and, and this one too. What's your biggest takeaway sitting here now, five days removed from what we watched in Highmark Stadium on Sunday? Well, I mean, they, they've got a lot of work to do. I mean, they're behind the Bengals, I think, pretty definitively. And when you look at the reasons for that, I think they're kind of twofold, right? They had no answers defensively. That's troublesome. But 10 points in a home playoff game isn't going to cut it. And I think the the warts were there all season. The cracks were there all season. And they all got exposed in one game. And I think if you watch this team week in, week out, the way so many of us did, we sort of knew that that didn't look like a Super Bowl team for long stretches at a time. And, and that could be game to game, week to week. Uh, and it, it it took the right opponent to sort of show that, I guess. And the Bengals showed that. And I feel like they're farther away right now than they were at this time a year ago. And that's troublesome. So one of the things that I think is going to – pick up steam over the course of the offseason as fans, as people that cover this team, the national narrative as well. You know, I, I saw a clip coming from, I think it was Colin Cowherd and whatever you think about him. Um, he's a guy going back, like he hasn't always been the first takey guy. Like, I think he's got a pretty good journalism background. At times, he's got some good takes and I thought some of the criticism that he had of Sean McDermott in that game, I thought was fair game. How concerned are you for this program being led by Sean moving forward, do you feel like they're in a spot where he's the one that maybe is holding them back? Or is it just about maybe fixing some of the things in their offensive process with a first year play caller and moving forward? Cause he has done a lot of good things. Well, I mean, look, look at where they are from where they were when, before Sean McDermott came here. Right. So they, I mean, he has brought this franchise a long way. The thing about McDermott that I sort of go back to is, you know, what coaching tree did he come from, right? The Andy Reid coaching tree. Let's not forget that it took Andy Reid a long time, and he had to get a Patrick Mahomes before he won his first Super Bowl. It never happened in Philly, despite all the success they had there. So I don't think that we're there with McDermott yet. I think he needs a couple more cracks at this. I will say that the pressure each year that they fail is only going to increase on him. It is troublesome that it seems like they get to the playoffs and his identity changes in some way. Uh, his identity changes in some way in the sense that we've seen him, I think, grow and evolve in terms of aggressiveness in the regular season. Fourth down decision making, when to use timeouts. He's been better at that, I think. But in the playoffs, it kind of went the other way. I mean, way too many defensive timeouts, way too conservative on fourth downs. And it seems like he gets away from who he is in the playoffs. And, and that's that's concerning. But I think when you take a step back, when you look at his leadership through what this team went through this year, when you look at the fact that he did have a first-time play caller calling the offense, I think there's reason to, if you're if you're optimistic, the glass half full take is that Ken Dorsey's going to grow in year two. 
defensively, listen, this is his defense. They play defense the way that Sean McDermott believes in playing defense. And I don't want to say that Leslie Frazier doesn't do anything because that's not true. But replacing Leslie Frazier is de facto replacing Sean McDermott. You have to remember whose defense it is, regardless of who's calling the plays. So I don't think that I don't think we're going to see a move like that. I think you have to hope, though, that Dorsey takes a significant step forward. And you have to think that McDermott is going to need to stay true to himself in the playoffs. If it's fourth and two and you're down 14, you got to go for it against Cincinnati. I mean, hunting there didn't work. And, and he didn't like the question the other day, but I think it was worth asking. Yeah, you know what I like? I like you getting Elliot out to the court, getting in some time night before the game. Uh, my little guy's at nine. You're at 10 tomorrow. We are. Uh, <laughs> represented Central Amherst Baseball. Uh, both of our kids play that, too. Yeah. Oh, man, thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, Jay Skirsky, you can find him at the Buffalo News. All right, so a couple years ago, I introduced you to um, my Uncle Tony. I think I did an actual podcast with him. It's a real – come on over here. Come on over here. Come on over here. So stand right here. You got to clo- up close to the mic. I'm not going to bite, all right? You've known me for 40 years. All right, so every time we get together at a family event, I've shared this with you guys before. This is not news to you. You bring a list. It's usually 10 questions long. Yes. Right? And you brought your list tonight. So I figure, listen, I don't want to stay after and have to, like, answer these all through. So you take me through a couple of them right now. Here's the thing, though. You got to step up to the mic so they can hear you at home and in this place. Okay. Every year I try to get men to answer these questions. Honestly, some of them is already addressed in this podcast. However, there's a couple here I want to actually get his opinion about. Okay. Okay. Do you see any of these players starting on next season's offensive line? Mitch Morris, Ryan Bates, Spencer Brown, Roger Saffold. Okay, so I'm a 100% Roger Saffold's not going to be a starter on this offensive line next year. I think Ryan Bates, I'd like to see him at left guard again. I thought he was better in that spot. I thought that Deion Dawkins played better with him next to him, a little bit more of an athletic player. But the problem is I don't necessarily know that Ryan Bates is an an Aaron Cromer guy. That's another piece of this. Like, I I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of an overhaul. We've been talking about this throughout the week. And, like, Spencer Brown to me is a big athletic guy, another offseason with Cromer. I think they're going to continue to work on things. If they go out and they draft a tackle, I mean, they got to win. They got to put the best offensive line in front of them. So I think they can move on from any of the one. Well, not Mitch Morris. I think Mitch Morris is going to be back. And they can always kind of rework that deal as well. Okay. This question. Defensive line play for me against the Bengals. Are the following players released? Espinanza, Shaq Lawson, and Oliver Bookie-Bashley. So you said that better than some, Epinesa. Yeah. Let me see the question. Defensive line played poorly against the Bengals. Are the are the following players released? So I don't think you're going to release any of the rookies. You're going to bring them to camp. They're cost controlled. What Brandon Bean was talking about with this, um, with the salary cap, you're kind of in a bind a little bit. You can't just move on from guys that are under rookie deals unless you have a way to replace them. And to do that, you're going to even have to draft another guy. And I put out a mock draft the other day, uh, Kuypers. I put a story out about it. He took a defensive end. Fans were not happy about that. So what, what would you say if they took a defensive end in the first round? No. Okay. I'm no. There you go. I'm offensive line. Daniel's asking, where's Ryan? You got to bring Ryan back in here. Stand in the middle. All right, go to the next one. Okay. Hopefully next year's trade will be 100%. Who do you think will be the second cornerback? 
now, I know you're a big Jay Jackson fan, or you were a big Jay Jackson fan. Who would you select? Elam, Jackson, or Bedford? Define Dane Jackson fan, because when you come to the house and say, uh, Dane Jackson stinks, and I say, I don't think he stinks. Does that make me a big fan? I didn't say stinks, but in fire Brock, and Brian Talbot said it many times, you promoted Dane Jackson. You were behind him. You were one of his bigger fans. Wow. Listen, he's coming for my head in this show. No, I think that he is a starting level talent in the NFL. Okay. Now, is that what you want opposite Trey White when you just spent a first-round draft pick on Kyer Elam? No. I think there's moments when Dane Jackson makes plays. I think he he has, he's shown, going back to his rookie year, that he can make big plays and big moments. Has he had some bad plays as well? Yes, definitively. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, Matt, for me, it comes down to the fact that you invested a first-round pick in Kyer Elam. He's the guy in year two. You bring your rookies along slowly, but there's a reason that you thought that his talent was a good fit for this scheme. Full offseason, I always feel like rookies from uh, year one to year two, when you get that full NFL offseason, it helps them with their game. So for me, it's it's no doubt Kyrie Elam. I, I think Dane Jackson becomes your top reserve, and I think there's a talk about Christian Benford even being moved to safety. I right, got time for one more here. Okay, your best one. Give me two more. I'll give you two more. I'll give you two more. I like that. As you cover the game from the sidelines, you witness Dick's animosity towards Allen when he's not targeted when he's open. Does this create more friction for the offense? Yes. Um, the one thing that I think, one thing I was thinking about with this, because we talked a lot about it this week with Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, is I think that Josh Allen understands how important Stefan Diggs is to this offense. And I think part of being a leader is sometimes not handling things from other players that maybe you don't want to, you wouldn't deal with in other situations. And for this offense to reach the level it has to consistently over the course of the season, Diggs is going to have to be a big part of that. And so I think, sure, in a perfect world, do you want Stephon Diggs to stop complaining in front of your face on the sideline? Probably. Talk more about that once we hear from these guys. But it's something that I think that they're going to kind of have to continue to work through. And I think Josh Allen is the easy guy to go to because he's got the ball in his hands. But Diggs has also been very adamant about the fact that playing quarterbacks hard in this league. And I think maybe the frustration could probably be parceled out between Ken Dorsey, Allen, and this offensive line. Yeah, listen, this is something that going into year two of Ken Dorsey's offense, Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen, and he have to all sit down and get on the same page. If he's getting bracketed, Matt, if he's getting double teamed, okay, what can we do? Can we throw him a quick wide receiver uh, pass out into the flat and let him do work that way? He needs the ball in his hand. He needs to get, I would say, a minimum of six or seven receptions per game. There's way to, ways to scheme that up. You see the way that uh, Minnesota gets the ball to Justin Jefferson. You've seen the way that the Rams in the past have gotten the ball to Cooper Cup. And yes, Cup mostly a slot guy. But you can move Diggs around. You can put him in the slot. You can put him on the outside. You can get the ball to him quickly. I understand his frustration. Should he be doing it on the sideline? Absolutely not. There's a better way to handle that behind closed doors. All right, one more. Make it good. Make it good. This question is for both of you. Throughout the season, throughout the season, you and Ryan Talbot usually have similar game predictions. Is there one area of the Bills' future development that the two of you strongly disagree? It does feel like sometimes that we share a brain yeah, when it comes it to how we analyze the team. I think part of that is spending so much time together. Um, you know, it might be TMI, but on the road sometimes we've, we've shared rooms. Like, it's, it's part of the gig sometimes. 
when you're when you're around somebody that long that often you know it just merges together um what is a take that we kind of differ on what's what's the biggest differentiating take that we've had on the bills you know that's a great question i don't even know if we have something where you are you and i are on uh, opposite pages uh you, you know i think maybe you were more critical of aaron cromer which is fair and i sat back and i said year one only one of his players came in he deserves a second season uh, draft some players that fit his scheme more so than anything else. Maybe he learned that Saffold's not the answer and you flip Bates back to left guard. Uh, for me, maybe that's our biggest difference, but we really we don't disagree much on the personnel or anything else with this team. So I was thinking about this the other day. Him and I, like, if you were to take a time machine and go back to us as Bills fans, as younger kids, we're like the same people. Like, he's got a lot of pessimists in his family. I got you and my dad. Like, I've spent my entire life with these guys, pessimistic. The Bills are never going to win anything. They're never going to do anything. So then we approach it in that way, if that makes sense. Well, you're kind of swaying us to the other side of it. We're trying to. We're trying. And I appreciate that. All right. But at our age, we see that times kind of go by quickly. So, so what was the excuse 20, 30 years ago? We were just pessimists. Okay. Okay. Uncle Tony, everybody. Thank, Thank you. All right. Yep. So we, we have Dell Reed in the house. We're going to have Dell join us here in a minute before we wrap things up. Uh, a lot of Bill's Taco coming. We're going to be making this a semi-regular event here at Wingnuts. We're going to be talking free agency here in the near future. We're going to be talking draft here in the near future. So uh, really excited to continue this relationship with Wingnuts. All right. A uh, couple of special guests that we're going to bring out here. The inventors of Wingnuts. Okay. I was uh, spending a little time. Uh, with Ed and Alicia uh, when I first got here earlier tonight. Um, really cool idea. Um, I want to have you pop up. I'll have yeah, them pop absolutely. in real quick. So if you ever get up here, uh, two wing nuts right here on military, ask for Ed and Alicia. They'll give me the whole lowdown on the entire history of this thing. So we were talking here earlier tonight, Ed, about you were at the first game ever played at Bridge Day. I was. I was. It was August 1973, my dad took me. I was 10 years old, and I was just beginning to really get into football. It was the Washington Redskins. Buffalo kicks the opening kickoff, and once you know it, Washington runs it all the way back. Yeah. And ever since then, I've been waiting for a Super Bowl. What's that like on game days? Almost as crazy as I am. Almost as crazy as you are. So Sunday was not a fun day in your household. No, we were here, and we left after the end of three. It, it was um, – we knew that it was it was going to be a loss, so we left. But it, it didn't hurt as bad as when we lost to Kansas City last year. Um, uh, Alicia and I, we, we know um, Barstool Sports folks, and Big Cat told us a year ago – he said, if Buffalo gets in the Super Bowl, we're taking you to the game. And Kansas City, 13 seconds, we were balling. It was terrible. So this year, the loss wasn't quite as hurtful, but I, I hurt every year when they lose because I've been waiting my whole life. And, and I love the Bills, and I love my city. So who's your favorite player? Depends on the day. <laughs> I love Josh Allen and uh, Stefan Diggs and, um, of course, DeMar. Of course. I really 
took a liking to Von Miller. You know, I just I, I I'm so sad that he got hurt. So I, I would have loved to have seen him in the game last week. Let me ask you this, um, and I'll let you guys go. What has been what surprised you the most about opening this place, this this version of Wing Nuts? Because you know, thinking back to some of the pitchers from the Knights of Columbus, I mean, this is a whole new world, right? It very much is. Um, we started with two wings in our basement and never dreamed it would even get this far. So when we when we opened up officially here on December first, it was it was quite a, a step. It was quite a step. And I do want to say thank you to God and thank you to all the people that work at Wignuts and to all the folks who come here to eat, without which we're nothing. So awesome stuff. Thank you so much for hosting us. We really appreciate it. The wings are to die for. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we're gonna wrap up here in a minute, but before we do, yeah, get Del Reed in here. When I was putting this thing together, whenever I put one of these together, me and Ryan always talk about it. If we can get Del Reed, the OG, the godfather into the house, we got to do it. How are you, my friend? I'm doing awesome. I mean, as awesome as I can be right now as a Bills fan, but no, I'm good, man. How about you? I'm great. And I wanted to ask you about that. What's this week been like? Because Ed was just talking about it. It's like you have what happened last year, the way that it happened. And, and now it's like a completely different world. It's like, you just get smacked in your own house, and this is where they wanted to play it. What's it been like? I, well, I mean, let's you go through all the stages of grief, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's been tough. I mean, the whole, I'll just say it, the Eli Apple thing, that kind of drama thing took up too much, too much of my mind space this week with all the mentions and everything. But um, I don't know. It's just it's tough, though, with this loss because the past couple losses in the playoffs that we've had, like, okay, 2020, we're on the way up. 2021, we're so close. 2022 season all right different vibe now now what are we doing what's going on here so i got a lot of faith you know in my bills and everything but ah, we'll see where it goes it's a totally different off season because it's almost been like you've been kind of climbing the roller coaster climbing the roller coaster waiting for that payoff at the end it's almost like it's stuck at the top right I guess the thing I want to ask you, too, being somebody that's so involved in the community online, um, when it comes to fan takes, yours is as, about as respected as it comes in my book. Where's your level of confidence in Sean and Brandon as we sit here going into a very important offseason? I've got a lot of confidence in them. I mean, you look at where the team was five, six, seven years ago. You look at where they are now. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens through a lot of deliberate actions. So I have a lot of faith, you know, in – I mean, they have a track record. I'm really looking forward to see what they do this offseason, though, because for all the things that we're thinking about after this loss, you got I've got to think that they're thinking the same things, you know. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of you have arguably the best quarterback in the league. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Cincinnati, Kansas City. We have arguably the best quarterback in the league, dual threat, all of that. Let's surround him with some talent, like some real talent. Let's invest in the, the talent around him. I'm really excited to see what they do. And it's going to tell a lot. I tweeted about this earlier this week. It's going to say a lot how they handle this free agency period coming up, how they handle the draft. Uh, I'm really interested, borderline excited to see what they do because they're now 
they're thinking the same things we're thinking. You know, like, okay, we're no longer right there. We're no longer on our way up. We're stuck at the top, you know, almost at the top of the pinnacle. What do we have to do? What can we learn from these past, this past season, these past couple seasons? What can we do differently? I've seen you, not as much as I've liked to, but I, I remember seeing you last with the pop-up out at training camp. You guys came to Rochester. You had the uh, the event out there. You, you hooked us up tonight, brought us, brought the 26-shirt machine on the road, the, the road show. Um, how often do you guys do these? Uh, when the Bills are playing a lot. <laughs> so we, I wasn't quite sure if we were going to do it tonight or not, but when you reached out, or what? how many we were going to do after the playoffs. But when you reached out, I was like, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so during the season, you know, there's a lot of demand for product. That's the one thing about Bill's fandom. It's, it's it's a renewable resource. Like, we just love our team. We want to rep our team, like, like all the time. And so we're just out here. We want to, like, you want to give people, hopefully, great merch that they love, give back at the same time. And so I thank you for the opportunity for inviting me out. Anytime, man. Thank you so much for coming. All right, Ryan, get in here. We're going to close this thing down. Thank you so much, uh, Wing Nuts, for yes. hosting. Can you hold this one for me? Absolutely. It's oh, my little boy. guy. I'm surprised that the, the, the future uh, generation of Shout is trying to get in this. I'm surprised the uh, the little ones haven't gotten in here more um, over the course of the night. Got another uh, shout out from Daniel. Daniel, we wish you were here. Man, oh, Got a man. bunch of bunch of super chats from him tonight. Really appreciate you, Daniel. We we appreciate everybody watching at home. Uh, I want you to give us uh, your final thought before we uh, get out of here. I want to have you hold this. Yeah, absolutely. Final thought. Listen, Bills Mafia, the season's going to end the way that you wanted it to end. Still another 13-win season. Uh, don't believe the doom and gloom that's out there. I think the Bills are still pretty close to achieving the the final goal of it all. We'll be here with you all off season. We'll be here at Wing Nuts to do a little bit of free agency talk, little draft talk. We appreciate your support for another year. Um, speaking of support, head over to Tops Friendly Markets right now. Carry Out Cafe, they're working overtime in the offseason, Ryan. They got deals for days. You can get the Tops Legendary Pizza, hook you up for $20. You get a large cheese and pepperoni for $14. Chicken wing, 10 count, $14. Pizza or taco logs, 6 count, $7.69. Baby back rib section, subs, sandwiches, wraps, app sides, so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone to enter. He's Ryan. I'm Matt. We'll be with you. Maybe next week. Are we off next week? We're going to do a show next week? What do you think? I think we might have to do a show. One show. We'll do one show next week. Can't leave you for a whole week, Mafia. We'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.